0: Welcome to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, where our goal is to connect
1: listeners to the great outdoors with hosts Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell. I'm host Ben Brandell, owner of Meant to Be Outdoors, instructor of outdoor skills, and passionate about personal growth. I'm host Brian Hoffmeyer, wildlife biologist and avid outdoorsman.
0: Welcome back to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. I'm your host, Brian, with my co-host, Ben Brandel. And today's episode is about post-spawn bass fishing. We got to go out and do a little post-spawn bass fishing today. So in this episode, we will share all about our day out on the water, as well as some of the science side about what bass are actually doing during the post-spawn. But before we dig into the details, let's give thanks.
1: Uh, Last Sunday, our church had service outdoors. And we got to have a service in what they called the garden. And I'm going to tell you, the weather was perfect, like absolutely perfect. And I just want to give thanks to God um, for the weather, for the creation. To have a time that we got together outside together as a church was amazing. And to have the amazing weather on top of it was even more amazing. And I'm just so thankful. And I, I want to give God the thanks.
0: This is getting ridiculous why our thanks are just lining up. I'm telling you guys, we do not talk about what we're giving thanks for before we dive into this, but my thanks today is for the weather we have been having. It yes. has been kind of a interesting spring where it warmed up and then it got really cold again and just weird things well, not, have been going on. not cold
1: on. like for snow, but no. just cooler than our normal spring.
0: Yeah, and then dry and then rain mm-hmm. and... it. It has been an unusual spring. Right. The morels, mushrooms weren't great. The white bass run wasn't great. Right. The suckers never really
1: ran. Don't even know if they did. Don't even know (laughs) if they did. They had to. They had to, but it had to be like overnight.
0: The bass spawn and transitions have been unpredictable and weird here where we're at. It, It has been so unusual. But the last week, over the weekend until now, I mean, if... It has to be like what the weather was like in the Garden of Eden for Adam and Eve, like 70 degrees, perfect humidity, beautiful sunshine that and you wake up in the morning and there's still that chill in the air. You know, the high 40s, low 50s like it is perfect. It is just so awesome. I guess it's kind of subjective based on right. what people like, but that's just what everybody's been saying. You run into somebody at the store lately and you're like, "Hey, oh, my gosh, just enjoying this picture perfect weather. Uh, And we've had a good stretch of it. I know that'll end one day soon, but really, really have been enjoying time outdoors with my friends and family.
1: And it has been perfect. It has, you know, and the low humidity, I think is key in all this that, you know, we are in the fifties and even when it gets, gets up to 70, 75, the humidity is low. It's just not this unforgiving heat. So, so blessed. Yeah. So thankful.
0: However, it doesn't exactly add up to great fishing conditions.
1: Not not on the days that we've been going. <laughs> right.
0: So we did get to go out yesterday, and just based on what people are saying and where we're at in the calendar, and wanting to do this episode, we knew that we'd be kind of in that post-spawn time of fishing. So, Ben, what exactly, how would you describe
1: what the post-spawn is? Well, the post-spawn is not the spawn or the pre-spawn. It's just that. It's post. <laughs> it's the after. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's the, the after spawn. And that's what, that's what I want you to give real quick. What is a recap? You know, if you're just not tuning in, we have other podcasts um, really talking about the pre-spawn and the spawn. But real quick, Brian, what, what is it? Give us a quick recap. Yeah,
0: so pre-spawn is just that. It, it is pre. It is before the spawn. These fish will slide into areas, kind of come out of their deep winter haunts into areas that are getting close to the areas they like to spawn. And then they move up to that real, real shallow, you know, five to less feet of water, depending on your water clarity. And they spawn. It is the breeding season. It's where they reproduce so that the bass populations continue to to grow and flourish. And then the post-spawn is the after. And we are uh, kind of in that right now. To be honest, if you were to spend a couple days on the lake, you could probably find a little bit of all three of
1: those going on right now. Yeah, and so to give a bigger... I guess the bigger picture and clarity you have your winter months that the fish are deep and then you have the summer months that the fish are deep and in between those you have fish that are moving from deep all the way up to shallow they're making their nest which is a bed we call it so we call them fish beds they make their nest or land eggs and then at some point they go all the way back out to the deep and in between the deep and the shallow is really kind of this pre-spawn post-spawn and as the angler we are trying to figure out where are they? What is happening because it is easier to catch these fish when they're shallow and it is kind of some it is easier for some anglers to go out and catch them really really deep cuz it's a consistent pattern but what's happening in between and that's what we're going to talk about today because Brian and I went out and we were confused going out and hopefully we had a little clarity by the time we were done. Did we get clarity, Brian?
0: Definitely more clarity. Yeah, uh, definitely more than when we started. We knew when we left, we were going to focus on post-spawn fish. The spawn has been going on for, geez, a couple months now. So really knowing that there has to be the large majority of these bass are starting to move out into what you call these post-spawn phases. And there really are kind of a few phases of the post-spawn too. But that Mm -hmm. was our focus getting there. We're going to start looking for some of these post-spawn fish. They're not up on the bank anymore. We're not going to sight fish for them. We're not going to see them before we catch them. Uh, started going to some areas in the past that we have seen them uh, kind of, I'll say wadded up, but where they kind of school up and, and you can catch two, three, four, five, ten 10 at a time, depending on the time that you're there. And we got late. We got a late start again, taking kids to school, all that stuff. So we missed really probably this time of year, the best hours of the day are those first two to three hours of light. And we missed those by the time we got there. Yes, yeah. So keeping all of that in mind, Uh, bright, sunny, very few clouds, not very much wind. Again, those are all things that are going to push these fish, one, out deeper, but two, down to the bottom. Yeah, you said
1: this is a two-month process. You're right. Like Within these two months, you have fish doing... All of these things we've been talking about. But at where we currently are, we are really wrapping it up at the end of this two months. We're, we're coming to the end of
0: it. I'm going to throw a disclaimer out there. In this episode, when we use the word fish generically, we are speaking about bass. And Spotted bass, smallmouth bass, and largemouth bass.
1: And that's also what I want to add here. He, he just brought it up, and, and we were really kind of focused more on largemouth and spots because smallmouth do do a little bit of a different thing. They do stay a little bit deeper. And we want to catch it all. We really do. But I I will say that as another disclaimer, that smallmouth is even, I think, personally, even harder to understand on the post spawn. And so as we're talking today, we're kind of digging into the spots and the Kentucky style there and and, uh, even the largemouth. Brian also was just talking about what's happening like uh, to the conditions. But one thing that we haven't talked a whole lot about in any episode is really the current, the current of what. Your lake, your your fishery, are they pulling water? Because certain times of the year in the spring here, when we get rain, a lot of our reservoirs, they will pull the water, and that has an impact too. Yeah, it usually can make fishing a lot better when they start pulling current. These
0: post-spawn fish are more predictable in where they set up. They're going to get in more congregated groups, and they really position themselves to where their head is facing up on that current, where bait is coming to them, and you can position your boat or your cast from the bank or wherever you're going to be down from them, and cast and come down to them just like the bait would be doing. Um, and it's a really—they just seem to feed a lot more aggressive, and they're—they're—they're they're, they're easier to. They're not spread out, I guess. They're not a spread out. They congregate better when that in that current.
1: Yeah, because you know when they are pulling current that current is actually pulling the the food that the fish want to eat. It's actually pulling them out into that deeper water. And when you find the food, you're going to find the fish. You right. know, the two types of food that we're targeting right now are going to be the shad and the bluegill. Yeah,
0: well, all that to say about the current, Ben, uh, that we didn't have a whole lot. We haven't had right. a whole lot of rain. So right. our, our lake is what you would say is actually still a little bit low. It has come up a little bit feet, a few feet, but... Um, I think uh, elevation 917 would be summer power pool, which they're getting ready to change over to that right now. And I think we're around 916. So that puts us about a foot low for summer pool. And so they're not going to be pulling a whole bunch of water because they need it to fill up. It has room for some of these spring rains that we're hopefully going to be getting. So not a whole lot of need to be pulling current and making power from the dam right now. Right. Um, I mentioned earlier, there's kind of phases of this post-spawn, this after the spawn thing has its own phases. And I really, I like to break it down into three. And the first one being like the immediately after phase of the post-spawn, these fish do not stay on the beds that you mentioned for very long at all. The females come up, they lay their eggs and, and then they pretty much go, they're gone. They may stick around, sadly, to try to get an easy meal. They may, once the eggs hatch, try to get and eat the fry, but the males are going to stay there for a while and fight all the bluegill off and fight the females back from coming coming back and eating all of the fry. Those males will stick around two, three, four, five days, maybe a week at the most. So you can still catch some fish shallow during the post-spawn. They're post-spawn fish. You can tell that when you catch them and they're skinny and beat up, but they are still shallow. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that later. And then you have... We'll say like two weeks after the huge wave of the spawn, the majority of it's over and you've got the two weeks after and these fish have moved out to similar pre-spawn areas a little bit deeper, but still not out in the deep, deep. So really that first set of deep cover closest to their spawning area. If there's a dock that has 10 to 15 foot of water, there's brush piles in that 10 to 15 foot of water range, those fish are going to move out. They're tired. They're beat up. They really, honestly, they need to rest in some place that's protected. So they're going to get up under a dock out of the sun. You've got water temperatures that are coming up and oxygen levels going down. So they're going to get in areas that are cooler so that they can have more oxygen. Um, They're cold-blooded animals, so they need to have those cold temperatures around 60 so they can't just be out in the sun as the year is warming up.
1: I bet you can't forget, too, though, um, these places that you're describing, Brian, are also areas that shad... And bluegill are going to be.
0: Right. Those areas are places that shad and bluegill are going to spawn so yes. they can get food, they can lay in a brush pile, or lay under a dock and get protection and start getting rested up and getting that strength to move out to those deep areas.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And again, food is is key here though for these fish. Now, Brian, you were talking about how quickly this happens from nest, um, from their beds to then, then going back out deep. Right. But it isn't like this isn't a stretch and i just want to bring clarity for everybody you know let's let's pretend that there were 1.5 billion fish in this fishery let's i have no idea i'm making this number up but let's say that that was a number not all 1.5 billion will be doing this that this the certain week of the spring season like over a two month process you're going to have um maybe a third i don't know <laughs> i'm i'm just trying to help give clarity here you're going to have these these uh species of fish um doing it throughout different weeks throughout the whole lake, throughout the whole stretch of the lake. And so just because you go to a pocket and you find these these fish on a bed, you might go back the next week and it could be a completely three, 4, 20 some odd fish using right. that pocket. Well what's
0: for instance, a month ago some of these coves and pockets that we went into, there were a hundred Right, bass spawning in there on bed, and now these same pockets you go in there, you may look very carefully and find two or three bass on bed. Right, so all those fish that were there a month ago are now out into the post spawn, and you've got a couple that are still up doing the kind of spawning thing. And then, of course, you're going to have some that are already all the way out deep, which we'll hit on later, and everywhere in between, but you got to find one where the majority of them are you got to target where most of them are and find the ones that are biting for the day and the conditions that you're out there that last that third phase of the post spawn i want to touch on real quick before we move on really i'm going to call it just full-blown it's the full-blown post spawn there are no more fish up shallow i shouldn't say up shallow there always be a few up shallow but they're not spawning anymore if they're up there Correct. there are no more fish up in the shallow spawning They've really all moved off even those brush piles and docks and they've moved out deep. They've moved out. Thermoclines are setting up in the water uh, where you have these divisions of temperatures and oxygen levels and they're moved out to these offshore places. I mean, some of them, if you're on a big enough lake, maybe a quarter or half a mile out from the bank where these fish go set up and that is what I'm going to call the full-blown post-spawn. There you go. Yeah. Now, let's talk about baits. Baits is fun. Even if you don't catch anything, just getting them all ready, picking out the right ones, the anticipation, and then going and and pulling them out of the box, tying them all on and get to try them all and use them, trying to find those ones that are working for that day is a lot of fun. But there are, just like with most seasons and bass, you do have your handful of baits for that time of year that are, uh, they're well-known I don't know. What what would you say about them? They're
1: they're key baits. They are, but it's because of what you've been talking about. Like, you know, if if you were fishing in your bathtub, it would be easy because you can literally fish the entire bathtub. But on these lakes, there's so many miles of water, and the temperature is different in all parts of this lake. And so— Yeah,
0: water clarity, temperature, current— Yes, it's It's all different.
1: So, you know, let's say that you want to go fish a certain section of the lake. Um, You've got to start where you're at and you've got to start beginning to think and look at what is the weather doing? What is the water temperature? What is the clarity? And then what are the fish doing within all of that? And that's what's so difficult because each area of the lake is so different and what the fish are doing can be different. And so that's why you are fishing either shallow or in between deep or deep. And so the baits that we're getting ready to talk about, it really depends on how deep or how shallow you're wanting to fish, because you're not going to be able to take one bait and use it for every part of the lake from shallow to deep. That's what makes it so tough. And so as we describe these, it really depends on the level, the depth of water that you're fishing.
0: Yeah. Before Before we get into baits, I, I, I think I want to slide up here talking about the shad and, and the bluegill just okay. a little bit more, because okay. we're going to be kind of talking about with the baits what we're imitating with each of those things. So when the water temperature gets to that 70 degree, that 70, 75 degree mark, the shad, which is a, it is a bait fish. They're in in big balls. They start really tiny. They grow really fast up to maybe a pound throughout the year. That is like, there are different kinds of shad. You've got gizzards and thread fins and uh, we've got both in our home lake, but That is one of the main forages of all bass species and other fish species, too. We're talking about bass today. They love these things, and when they're available to eat and they can get and bombard them, they are going to take part in these oily, fatty little game
1: fish. Yeah, and what's crazy about a a shad is I have seen them like at least nine inches, like the Mm -hmm. size of keeper crappie. Um, And the reason I see them is, is they come up. Um, when the white bass are starting to run, they come up right before the white bass, and they've tricked me before because you'll see schools of fish that are big, and I think that they're white bass, but it's just really large shad.
0: Right, but a lot of times this time of year they they they're small, they're small. When low. they go in, yes, yeah. yes,
1: at this time of year for sure.
0: But that seventy to seventy-five degree water temperature, surface temp, you can really kind of count on that they're gonna start spawning. And what these shad do, they go up to like these black floats or wooden structure at the surface of water, and they basically lay their eggs on this structure. And it is a opportunity for bass to get fat really quick. Mm-hmm. It is an opportunity for them to recover from the spawn, to get right in a hurry. And so when these fish, it always is happening in the morning, the cloudier and cooler um, overcast conditions, it'll last longer. But usually that first hour or two in the morning, you'll see little... Uh, just little plops in the water, little, basically little tiny fish flipping around these floats. And that's what's going on. They're spawning. And as they're doing it, some of them are dying and trickling down. Bass mm-hmm. can come and pin them up against, literally hit them against the structure. And, and it is a great way to catch bass. And so you need to find the shad for the post-spawn if you want to find Good fishing for the bass.
1: Yeah, you can actually see these these shad dead um, sometimes floating yeah, on the water. Yeah, you'll floating. Um, you know, let's say that you keep a uh, catch a keeper bass and you put it in your live well. A lot of times they'll throw it up, and you'll actually be able to see the size of of bait that you probably want to start using mm-hmm. because you're seeing the size of these live bait that that they're either throwing up or you're finding dead floating on top of yep. the lake. Then you've got the bluegill
0: or sunfish, all those, they spawn a little later than the bass too. Usually right as the bass are moving to post spawn, the bluegill are coming in to spawn. And they they kind of spawn in similar to the bass. They they make their beds but more colonial. They'll be 10, 20, 30, 40, maybe even 100 depending on where you're at if you have more of a grass like these areas were all these bluegill come in and spawn and the bass will kind of lurk on the outside of these spawning areas and bombard these bluegill and, and get some good easy meals really quick too. So if you can find bluegill beds or a shad spawn going on in the morning, it is an awesome, awesome time fishing. And it is a great way to catch a big bag, uh, during the
1: post-spawn. Isn't it though? Man, you're, <laughs> you're getting me excited. Like yeah. it is a lot of fun for sure.
0: It is a lot of fun. So now let's jump into the baits. Now that we know what we're imitating, um, we can kind of relate and tie this back and forth between the bluegill and the shad and some of uh, these baits. And you know, I'll start with jigs. Really for me, 12 months out of the year, I'm going to have a jig tied on where we live. Yes. Um, But this time of year, I want to be really, really sure that my color patterns on my jig are matching a bluegill. Now that's, That's if I'm dragging the bottom on, You know, we'll say I put a football jig and I'm dragging out on points, uh, that 10 to 25 foot range, I want to be imitating a bluegill. Now, if it's early morning and the shad spawn's going on, a white swim jig around the docks and trees is really, really awesome too. So you have to keep in mind what you're imitating with that jig. So if I'm going to be swimming it Imitating a shad, I'm going to have white swim jig. If I'm going to be dragging the bottom, I want it to look like a bluegill.
1: Brian, you're you're starting to talk about the layers, the columns in the water. So fishing top water, fishing the middle of the water, and then fishing the bottom. And so my favorite type is to literally throw out and fish the bottom, just bottom baits. You're talking about a jig, but you can also get into even some other types, some heavier stuff like the shaky head, the worm. Um, some of those, but no matter what we're fishing on the bottom, it needs to really mimic, you're saying, their bait fish, they're, what they're right. wanting to eat, a, a bluegill.
0: Right. You and know, then as we move more into the summer, that'll kind of transition into crawfish if right. you've got a lot of crawfish in here. Right, exactly. Ben, the next bait we want to talk about is one of your favorites. I know you love throwing this, uh, especially night fishing in the summer, but I know you love dragging this around deep, and that's big worms.
1: Yeah. How yeah. big we talking? Well, so big could be from seven because you get in your finesse side. So seven inches all the way up to ten, eleven, um, you know, ten inches is about what I, I was like. To say, I
0: think I've seen you tie a foot long worm on before. <laughs>
1: you know, I've I've tried some of those. You know, Brian, I do enjoy throwing a Texas rigged ten inch worm. Um because you can fish it deep, but you can also throw it shallow. I have thrown a large 10 inch worm you know in structure and been able to catch some really good keepers as well
0: yeah that's a that's a great great bait for these brush piles so right those first couple weeks when those fish slide out to those 10 15 foot brush piles you can throw that big worm in there and drag it through that brush texas rig it's not going to get stuck a whole lot and it's just it looks like a big easy meal for these bass and you can catch not only some uh some numbers doing that but you can catch four or five pounders you can catch some big fish out of those brush piles on that big
1: worm you know most of the time when you're getting a bite on a 10 inch worm it isn't a little dink it is a keeper yeah and that's awesome
0: yeah <laughs> it kind of helps
1: kind of helps weed some of that if you're looking for that that one fish you need
0: it does feel good you know another one's gonna get talked about a lot this time of year is gonna be deep cranking and for me, when I say deep cranking, again, that's subjective. Uh, I'm gonna say anything 15 feet and and deeper. Ben, you like the DT22. I like the uh, Strike King mm-hmm. 5XD, 6XD, 6XDs. They have all the way up to 10XDs now. But really, that 5XD that goes down to 15 feet uh, on 10 pound line, that is gonna be what I'm start considering deep cranking. And I like to find those. I love, we've got some, some places on our lake that have islands connected to points, and where they connect underneath the water, there'll be these saddles that's 15, 20 feet. I love deep cranking those saddles, and I've caught some really good fish that way.
1: Same way with roads. Roads that are under the water, no longer roadways, but um, used to be before, before that waterway had been flooded. Um, those are areas to find, too, with with your big crankbaits.
0: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um Drop shots. You know, I think we probably need – we're going to start breaking down some of these techniques more, and I think drop shot is probably going to be one of the first ones that we do. Um, One, it just catches so many dang fish, and it is so versatile, and I feel like a lot of people are intimidated by it for some reason, even though it's a a finesse-style fishing, Uh, but I feel like people maybe overcomplicate
1: it. Yeah, we need to because a lot of the local guides – when the fish go deep this is it's what they do this is what they do right. this is what you're gonna get to go do out with a guide
0: yep absolutely so drop shots um flutter spoons this yeah, is spoons, one. spoons and then yeah, inside that is that that flutter spoon I feel for sure. like uh this time of year is probably the best for the flutter spoon because it really really imitates those dying shad those shad that are in the shad balls that have gotten hit or they're spawning and they're injured and they're not quite dead but they're flipping and fluttering and falling down out of that bait ball. They are the one that the bass, the predator is going to come in and take out. And so if you can find those shad and throw your flutter spoon down through them, man, you can you can get right in a hurry with the yeah. flutter spoon. Um, it is a little tricky for me because I'm usually throwing it deep trying to make sure that I actually get it to fall into the fish and that I'm not out beside them or past them. Also, it falls pretty quickly, and if it gets all the way to the bottom, you can get that thing hung up <laughs> and break it off pretty yeah. dang quick. Too. Yeah,
1: no, you can. That flutter spoon, though, because it's mimicking that dying minnow, um, if you're finding structure, like, let's just say it's vertical. You know, you got trees, submerged trees, throwing next to them and letting that fall, whew, that can be deadly. But like Brian's saying... If you get too close to that tree and <laughs> and you get that treble hook into that tree, it's it's probably gonna stay down there. <laughs> yeah, and
0: and the flutter spoon is literally looks like you cut the spoon uh, the cut the handle off of a spoon. Mm-hmm. and drill the hole in it and put a treble hook on the end of it. That's yep. pretty much what a, a flutter spoon looks like. And because of that kind of concave shape that it has, that really makes it fall unpredictably down through the water column.
1: And and that creates a reaction strike. I mean, those bass see it, they got to react to it.
0: Yeah, it does. A lot of times when you, you let it fall and you'll rip it up, when you rip it up, they they are eating it, yeah, out of reaction. you can You can make some stubborn fish bite with that. Absolutely. Now, probably my least favorite on this on this list. Now, I have let me fished guess it. Uh,
1: You're going Carolina rig. I'm going which, Carolina okay. rig. Right. I
0: have fished it. <laughs> I know it works. I've caught fish on it. It's just it's slow. I know guides are doing it. Yeah, I know pros are doing it's slow. it. It is a slow, mm-hmm. methodical, no bite feeling. <laughs> well,
1: you know before, it is effective. But, I know it is before technology you could go out on a point and you could throw this and and just be calm with it and it does produce fish but a lot of these people that are using it know that they're in fish mm-hmm. you know they know that these fish are out on these points and they feel really confident throwing it today with the technology now that we can go and we can actually visually see live in the moment whether there's fish there or not that has changed the game enough that that people aren't using the Carolina rig as often, I don't think. I think they're moving to other baits because they're they're following them. That's a whole nother topic, a whole nother podcast. But I think that's the reason why you probably may not want to use Carolina rig as much because you're throwing out there and you're setting and you're kind of waiting. It's just yeah. a slow game.
0: And there's still, I mean, you know, Mark Davis and, and the foe, there's still a lot of guys who are making a living that, that still utilize the Carolina rig. There's still guides here locally that use the Carolina rig. It's a really easy rig to use. So if you are taking inexperienced fishermen with you, there's not a whole lot you have to do with it. Like you're saying, just kind of drag it around. Um, Ben, do you want to describe the setup of the, of the Carolina rig,
1: what it actually looks like, how you rig it? Yeah, you bet, Brian. So, you know, the Carolina rig, it's going to be set up, (laughs) There are anglers that have, like, their step-by-step, like, it has to be like this. Basically, you're going to have a sinker that's going to be able to slide and move a little bit, but you're going to have some beads, and you're going to have a stopper in there at some point to where your bait is being presented way up off the bottom, um, especially because as you're pulling that Carolina rig with that slip sinker, you're going to pull that, and you're creating... All that disturbance on the bottom, that sandy bottom, where you're having your soot, the silt that's going to come up, and then right up above that, whether you're using a, a seven-inch curly-tail worm, a a lizard, you know, a seven-inch lizard, um, something that's going to be up off right above that silt as you're dragging along. It's also making noises because you're you're adding in some beads, so you might have the bead above the slip sinker or behind, and you've got that clicking going on, and kind of mimicking maybe like a fish that's feeding down there in that in that bottom, and then having that lizard or that um or that perhaps blue bluegill color looking worm coming along behind, um really really hoping to to make that bass see what's going on to come over to investigate to eventually hit that that bait that is up off the bottom. Right now. There is another that's kind of finessey, and they call it the Mojo. And it's something that some of the anglers are doing here locally as well. But it's more finessey where you don't have a lot of the the clicking and popping and, and hitting. It's, it's going to present that bait up off the bottom enough, but you don't have all this hardware. It's basically just a set sinker that's maybe about two foot, maybe two and a half feet up the line that's secure, not going to be moving back and forth. And so your Carolina rigs, you're really bringing that bait up. Giving the presentation it's not digging in the ground like you would with a football jig. You know, you are talking about a football jig earlier, really moving on the bottom. You are working the bottom, but the bait itself, that presentation is up, hopefully floating up a little bit.
0: Right. So rigging the Carolina rig, you're going to put your, your uh, bullet weight or your sinker weight on your line first. Then you're going to slide a bead on after that. Then you're going to tie a swivel on below that. And then to your swivel, you'll tie your leader line down below that. Two or three feet with your hook on the end of your leader. And then you can pick your bait. That's where people, yeah, people use curly tear worms, lizards. Uh, french fry is a, a common one. People will do creature baits on the end of them. But that is, I'm not going to, definitely not going to call it power fishing. But uh, it is a bigger, heavier presentation, heavier line. You're throwing it on a casting rod. And then this new mojo rig you're talking about, really you just put a bobber stop above and below A sinker and you can kind of slide that up and down to adjust your leader and you've got a smaller hook and a smaller like ned rig type bait on
1: the bottom (laughs) it's i'm gonna say that like when you're talking about carolina rig i think that's another reason why i i hate rigging them. it's because what you're describing right there is confusing to a listener that's never even done it before you know because there's already pre-rigged kits and all you would need to do is, is tie on a swivel on your main line, and then the kit that you bought from Bass Pro Walmart, you just clip right in, and it's ready to go. Mm-hmm. But but the question is, is what pound test are you clipping into? Because if you get this thing snagged or hung up, or you break it off, you've lost quite a bit of cash. If you're if you're buying the beads, you're buying the brass yeah, weights, you're the, buying like the seven dollars <laughs> for like, one of the pre read kits it's plus crazy. the hook
0: plus the base. Yes,
1: so you have all this hardware. Plus, you are throwing quite a bit of weight just to fish with you mm-hmm. know so what rig are you using do you have a bait casting rod um wh- what pound test are you setting that all up on so all that to say
0: it is effective
1: it is effective you
0: do get bites on it and there are still people that make a living fishing utilizing the carolina rig i personally don't love it and it i have to be backed into a corner before i rig one up to to use it right um, the Mojo rig seems actually a little simpler cause you're just using a sinker and some bobber stops and I may try it. I'm, I'm intrigued enough that I'll probably try it this year, but I have not tried it yet, but I know there are some local guides that are utilizing that, that Mojo rig. The well, finesse the Mojo, version.
1: Mojo rig is finesse. So that means you're probably going to use it more on a spinning rod and mm-hmm. some lighter line for sure.
0: Right. Which if you're a guide and you have clients, that's uh, suits your clients usually a lot better than, than trying to use the, the casting, uh, tackle. Um, what else we got on here? Swim baits. Yeah. Swim baits is a good one. For some reason, we just do not get bit as much as we used to on swim baits. We don't.
1: It has changed. I remember a year that you and I went and I, I'm a, we caught so many fish. I mean, it was like, <laughs> it was just so much fun. I, I can't even think of how many fish we caught. I think I lost count because... Every time you threw in, you got a bite or you caught one, yeah, and we
0: we used to absolutely smash. We smash.
1: That is the word. Yeah, I mean, smash, smash, and it has definitely changed. Um, it kind of breaks my heart because it is a fun way to go catch them when they're when they're really wanting to bite it. Yeah,
0: you can still get bit that way. Um, a lot of times, you have to really understand where those fish are positioned. Do you need to get that thing down? What we call scrubbing the bottom, taking the rocks on the bottom. Or do you need to be halfway down? Is it 60 feet deep and these fish are at 30 and you need to be throwing a half ounce, getting it down past them and coming through right at that 30 feet, getting them to bite. But again, you're imitating really these shad. You're, you're trying to imitate these shads. So use a bait that is similar in size and color to the shad, the forage that you're seeing out there. For you know, those s- bass. But we still do catch fish on right. swim baits, just not. I'm going to say it used to sometimes be easy. Like, yeah, man, I'm not really catching them today. Yeah, let's, go. let's
1: start throwing these swim baits around and we'd go catch some some good keeps. You know, and a tip on any of that, when you're mimicking the bait fish, no matter what reservoir, no matter what fishery you're on, if you're mimicking the bait fish, if you're casting that out through that bait fish and you're not getting a bite, just a quick tip, throw some chartreuse on the tail, throw some orange on the tail, th- change it up just a little bit to where... And that bass is coming up to feed on them. They see your bait over the other 100 to 200 bait that you're throwing into. Give them something that they can see, that they can pinpoint and go attack. Um, if you're throwing the exact same bait that's that looks just like the rest of the bait, it is hard for a fish to then want to come and hit your right. lure, your mm-hmm. hook.
0: All right, I saved the best for last. This is probably the most talked about Ooh. Uh, category of lures for the post spawn, and that is Top waters, Yeah. Because people love catching them on top waters. Who doesn't? Seeing the bass come up and make a splash and catch them. Uh, the bite is always awesome. There's no question that the bite happened. It is such a fun way to catch fish. And this is probably the best time of year to do that. These bass are hungry. You've got shad that are spawning in the mornings on cloudy days up high in the water column. And you can imitate that over the top of them and catch some really good fish also you can still catch some of those shallow fish on top water because those fish that are up there guarding their fry guarding the babies they're going to be pretty aggressive and if you can imitate a bluegill coming across the top into their bed where those you, you can catch get some huge explosions and catch some fish um, top waters that really excel this time of year are going to be your walking baits traditional zara spooks mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. there's so many walking baits out there now but baits when i say walking baits uh they walk back and forth the nose is going to swing back and forth as you pop the rod back and forth you can get rattling ones ones that don't rattle you can get them two inches you can get them 10 inches uh yeah you're making
1: a zigzag you yep. know it's going left right left and zigzagging back and forth in the water and you can see that take place naturally with these bay fish when a when a either uh, injured or a bass is, is chasing after that bait fish, you'll see them like zig back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And, you know, it's it's a beautiful thing to recreate. But that topwater action is different than other topwater action like Brian's favorite go-to topwater. Now, what I mean by that is is when you're watching Brian work this frog, he loves the frog. It is... It, I mean, if you know Brian, when you see him grab that frog and he's out, let's just say a local pond, let's just say he's going to work a pond, to watch his face light up, it's it's something else. And why I'm saying that is because you are still walking this frog, but it it's different. It's different. How you do it is going to be different. And then seeing that frog movement in the water looks different than that zigzag back and forth from, you know, a spook, um, you know. Any of those walking baits that you're going to see on top of the water,
0: and and really for me the the frog um, is is more of a shallow around cover. But I right. will I will throw it out in some of these open water areas where fish are coming up and busting. And when they're I aggressive, have caught them yeah. that way. When they're aggressive, yeah. I, I really can because I can walk it. I will. You mentioned the frog being different. When I first got into using a frog, um, I thought it was going to be just like these walking baits. Mm -hmm. I was going to be just like it. And the Mm -hmm. first time I tied it on, I was like, holy cow, I can't make this. I cannot make this thing walk at all. It's just like, I'm just reeling this piece of plastic across the top. So (laughs) it is different to work, um, but you are able to throw it in tighter areas because the hooks are tucked up into the body. You don't have treble hooks hanging down and it imitates a bluegill really, really, really well. And you can throw it up in those bluegill bed areas or bass bed areas, uh, right in that immediate post-spawn time and catch some really nice fish, get some really aggressive bites. I've just had some really awesome days in May, the early post-spawn on a frog.
1: You know, all this reminds me of, um, oh, we've got some, we've got some real good friends and, and, uh, their dad passed away not too long ago and he was like a father to me and, and, There'd be times I'd take him out, and he'd always want to throw. He'd say the pop R. It was either the Zara Spook or the the pop R. Gotta throw this pop R. And and I'd watch him throw, you know. But it was just this this slow retrieve of just really slapping water, like the bait slapping water, and it's it's throwing water.
0: Yeah, it's got a cup mouth, and every it's, time you pop it, it is splashing, spitting water out in front of
1: it. Yep, and you know what's so cool is you actually have a frog, Brian that does both you can you can make that water with that cupped face frogs and splash water or you've learned how you can still walk it back and forth and and you can make really do both whatever you want to do and and if you can find a bait that does multiple things like that that's the way to go i think
0: yeah absolutely and and the pop i'm glad you brought that up this is the time of year to throw that pop bar. this is the time of year to throw it um if, if you're out there early in the morning and you want to go down a bank and throw that thing and work it out to 10, 12 feet of water depth around docks. And this is an awesome time of year. If you want to throw that traditional pop
1: Yes, it is. And, I, and I've seen it work. It is. It is another one of those that are successful this time of year.
0: It absolutely is. One that I've gotten into in more recent years, um, and has gotten, it's always been popular around here locally, uh, when we were kids, there was a bait called the Redfin, yeah. and it was a wake bait. And what a wake bait is, is it's – it. I guess it is it's, a topwater. It's jointed. It's jointed, mm-hmm. and – well, they're not all jointed now, but they,
1: they no, have well, a – Well, okay, let's, let's talk about this, because when we were kids, there wasn't too many of these, and they worked. They were yeah. really, really good. But fast forward to today – they have definitely the, the bait companies have definitely they improved. Made them yes, and made them a lot better. You know, yeah. uh, Brian was actually fishing uh, one from like he'd bought last year, and I still have the original the red right. fin, and we were both throwing them out and just seeing the action, seeing how they come back. It's different. It's, it it's is definitely better.
0: Well, and those red fins, I always felt like none of them track straight. You have <laughs> to you have, you have to, to tweak, tweak them on a little them. bit. Uh-huh, yeah,
1: <laughs> but that's like any like when we're talking about deep diving crankbaits, you know. Uh, you do have to you have to make sure they're running correctly. You know, today with technology, today with with how well we've we've come with the types of plastics and and maybe even the the O rings that they're putting on them. You don't have to tweak these baits as much, but any bait that you use, you want to make for sure that it is working how it's designed to work, and you may have to tweak on it, work on it to to make it the most effective.
0: Yeah. Um. So they don't have to be tweaked as much, and they're for me that gives me more confidence in them so i do like using those this time of year cuz it it basically goes right underneath the surface it does. i mean it's not on top like a walking bait but it's like i'm going to say an inch maybe 2 inches right underneath the surface and it looks when you reel it in it has a bill on it like a kind of like a crankbait it looks like when you see a minnow or a shad flee and you can see the ripples on top of the water mm-hmm it looks just like that it is making that wake of a fleeing bait fish on top and when fish are out schooling in some of these deeper areas you can throw that over the top of them and they will come up and it is really popular has gotten really popular around here to throw for the post spawn time
1: you know you're right it has um we've caught our, me personally i've kind of gotten away from it um, but with man with the brands out now they are deadly um i do want to talk about tips really quick um, when we were talking about the frog, you know, there's something that you do with your frog, Brian, I want you to share real quick, because we're talking about with, with crankbaits. you want to make sure that they run true. You may have to bend, um, the eye where you're tying the line to the eye on a crankbait. You may have to tweak that left or right to get it to, to ride straight. You know, if you're throwing your crankbait in, and you're reeling it back to you and it's just going to the right and it's going all the way to the right, you may have to adjust it. Um, Brian when he's on the frog he actually does a little something to help um, make his w- walk a little better what is it that you do Brian
0: yeah I do I do a couple little things and in the fishing world this is it's highly debated on whether you need to do this or not and it's kind of just a perf- personal fr- preference but first of all I trim both of my legs, and depending on which frog you buy... The, oh,
1: you mean you mean the frog's legs, frog legs, not your legs. Not my oh, personal okay. legs. Okay, I could good. use a trim up every once in a while.
0: <laughs> uh, I trim the, the frog legs, uh-huh. depending on what brand you buy. They Some will be longer than others, but I trim them both up to start with, and then I'll trim one just a little bit shorter. And a lot of people say, oh, well, it makes them walk easier to do that and starting out that is why I did it was to walk but now honestly take it out of the box cut the legs off it doesn't matter once you get used to it you can walk it but I feel like just watching frogs like in the pond they don't hardly ever sit there with two even legs just perfectly stretched out I think making it a little more irregular makes it look a little bit more natural Mm -hmm. um again probably an overthought by by me but I do it because it gives me more peace of mind but I think the most crucial thing tweak that I do to a frog is I take my pliers and you have to be so careful because you don't want to mess up the barb on your hook. This is
1: exactly what what I want you to share.
0: But you get in there in those hooks and I bend them back. And so usually the points are laying like perfectly flat or maybe even a little bit down into the frog body. And I tweak them up to where they are just barely angled up. And I really feel like that helps my hookup ratio. I feel like Most of the time when a bass bites my frog, I catch it. Mm -hmm. I mean, when they really come up, I catch it. I don't lose that. I just don't lose that many fish on a frog. And that is one of the things that people talk about on hollow body frogs is how many fish they lose. And I don't lose very many.
1: Right. And that's good. That is a good tip because when you're throwing a frog out there and you get that bite, when you set the hook, I'm not saying that that fish won't come back up and hit it again, but it's probably rare. I right. mean, when when that fish comes up to react and its mouse coming out of the water and you don't catch it, I don't know if you're going to be able to again. Now, I know there are some anglers out there that say, you know what, if you throw it up, if you got an aggressive fish, they're going to come do it. Well, then perfect. But majority of the time, once you miss that fish, that's that's probably it for a while.
0: Yeah, uh, I like to have a wacky rig ready. Yeah. Because usually if you are throwing in and something's eating the frog, they're – given into that temptation of wanting a bluegill uh, and you throw the wacky rig in there and you've kind of got imitating the same thing, but now it's this irresistible, like they injured it and now it's falling back through the water. So i like to have a wacky rig ready to follow up a missed frog. Bite. You
1: know what? Let's, let's actually talk about that because if I'm listening to this podcast, I'm going to be like, okay guys, you just talked about 10 different lures and <laughs> how to throw them, how to tweak them. Brian, You have three rods. That's it. You only have three rods. Now, some of you are listening like, Ben, I've only got one. Well, you may need to invest in taking three rods when you go out. But, Brian, I took just one the other day. You did, and I was proud of you. I was really proud of you. But let's say that you can only take three rods. They're rigged up. We're fishing the post-spawn. Now, I'm putting them on the spot, guys. We haven't talked about this. We haven't brainstormed on this. This is just coming to me because, you know, as men and women want to go out and fish this time of year— You are going to be limited on taking 16 rods like Jacob Wheeler and Dustin Connell. All these guys are taking out just boat full, boat full of rods. Brian, you can only take out three. What what baits are you tying on? You
0: named Jacob Wheeler and Dustin Connell, but I'm going to tell you right now, Brian Thrift does it the best. Yeah because he has the most organized, lined up. I mean, yeah, I great. think he sets his rods on his deck. First of all, they're definitely all positioned going the same direction, but I think he lines the ends of them up so that they're all even. Mm. I mean, it looks fake. He lines them up so nice and keeps them that way almost all day long, so he does it the best.
1: Well, that's because his, his the deck of his boat <laughs> is large enough for him to still walk around and fish and keep them at that angle. Yeah. In my boat, if I did that, we would have no room to stand.
0: If, <laughs> There'd be if no fishing I, platform. If I brought all my rods and you brought all yours, <laughs> yeah, yeah. we'd have to stack them up on cross. We'd front. have to
1: fish in the back of the boat just so that our rods had a place yeah, in the front. That's true. If,
0: if I could take three and, and rods. And what I mean by
1: taking three rods, I'm saying you're only going to use three baits. Okay. I understand that you are going to have rods and reels and certain lines set up for these, these baits. Let's not go that deep, okay, because... When we start talking about baits in the future and we start talking about, let's say, uh drop shot, we are going to go through and talk about what rods and reels and line that we like to use for that. So for this question, you can only take three baits for the post spawn, something that you have rigged up right there. I understand that at a moment's notice, you could take one of those off and tie a new bait on. But for right now, you can only take three baits. What are you taking?
0: Gosh. That is pretty tough. Mm-hmm. I am gonna take my jig rod,
1: the jig. Okay. I'm gonna
0: take my top water, mm-hmm. and then I'm gonna take a spinning rod and I'm gonna put on a, I'll put on a drop shot.
1: Okay, so I get where you're going with. You've talked about the rods again, but I want to narrow it down for the listener of of three baits. Okay. So right now you're fishing drop shot. Yep. Okay. But for top water, what top water are you using? Are you using a frog? Are you using a spook? Are you using a popper? What are you tying on? Mm.
0: Am I going for the are they schooling out on the run out or am I going shallow for some of these
1: you're you're fishing deep because you've got a drop shot tied on so you're you're planning on fishing in deeper water than uh, more than shallow.
0: Okay. Uh I'm going to go I'm going to go with my uh spook top water.
1: Okay, so you've got drop shot. Yep. You've got your top water and what's your third bait I'm gonna that you're I'll go with a jig. You're tying on the jig. Yep. Okay. Are you using a finesse jig or are you using a big football jig? What are you, what are you tying on?
0: I'm going to go with a finesse jig.
1: You know what? I, I, I kind of like that. I think the, the one thing different, I may throw on a football jig. And the reason I say that is because if you've got a drop shot, that means you're not in a moving bait column where you're moving. But with a drop shot, you can fish almost any depth of water. You know, you can, you can drop shot all the way at the bottom, let your bait on the bottom and let it up from a foot, have your bait presentation there, or you could drop shot that down into a school of anything Mm -hmm. at whatever depth. So I like that. So then for me, if I want to fish the bottom, I want to be digging in and I'm probably going to throw a football jig.
0: I'm going to defend myself on the finesse jig.
1: Let's hear it. Speak.
0: Those brush pile fish. I'm going to get my finesse jig through that brush pile a lot better than you're going to get that football jig through there.
1: Probably so, but if we're talking about knowing what we're going through because we have the technology, then I'm probably going to watch my bait fall with the new technology that I have. However, I currently don't have that in my boat, so right. it's a dream for right. one day. Yeah. Right. Anyway, definitely got to have top water, going
0: to have something that I can get suspended to fish, and then I'm going to have something that I can target those fish that are tucked down. On the bottom on those sunny, calm days. You know
1: that's really good, Brian. I'm glad you shared that. And for those that are wanting to go out and and fish in a kayak, maybe you just have a little john boat. You're wanting to go out. Um, you know, you found an area of the lake that that has a boat ramp, maybe an RV, a camp, you know, camping spot, and you want to go put in. The post-spawn is still something that you can do even when you're going down and fishing from the bank or even going off you know, maybe 20, 30, maybe 40 feet from the bank, but your campsite's not too far away. This is still something you can do, and you can take those three baits and still have success.
0: I'll say this. If I was going to go stand on the bank and bank fish right now, um, and that's tough. Usually when I'm bank fishing, I have, I'll just have two rods, maybe one that I can— lay down as I'm walking or one I can stick in a backpack and then one I can fish with in the moment, I'm going to have a shaky head worm and a topwater bait. That's what I'm going to fish with from the bank if I'm bank fishing.
1: Yeah. And I'll give you a tip. If you're going to go out and do that, then buy plenty of shaky heads. Um, you will. <laughs> yeah. you. Unless you want to go swim out and get them, you will say, break a lot off. You will, you will get hung up a lot and you'll end up having to break, especially if you're wanting to stay dry and not get wet. Um, you will break them. And so yeah. be ready to retie and, and uh, cast out again. Well, let's kind of
0: bring this all together, Ben, with talking about our day and how it went um, to kind of show what we put into action, all the stuff that, that we're talking about
1: here. You know, we were fishing Hollow Reservoir, like we've talked about before. Um, Table Rock Lake. Table Rock Lake. We're definitely going in and trying to really fish that post-spawn. We knew that We could probably go still find some fish, maybe on on meds. Speaking of go, you know where we should have went? Where should we went?
0: A different lake. (laughs) Should have went to both Shoals or something.
1: You know what? I'm talking about the end of our trip first. (laughs) We we actually talked to a local guide. So, Um, yeah,
0: at the boat ramp, we pulled the boat out. Yep. Getting the boat uh, ready to get back on the highway and... uh, Local guide was there as well, and you went yep. over and talked to him.
1: I went over and talked to him because I wanted to see I – just, I just wanted his first reaction of, of what's really happening on this lake. And before I share with you our whole trip, you know, he said that this is probably the toughest spring that he's ever had.
0: Yes. He is a local who's lived here his whole life, and he toured on the Elite Series for 20 years. Yeah. I mean, let's yeah. share
1: who is it. Who yeah, is it? Brian Snowden. Brian Snowden. We, we I went up to him, and I, I just – first, I wanted to look at his boat. That's what I said. I actually walked up and I said, hey, I just want to see this beauty. And he goes, well, I know you're not talking about me, you know, and I was like, oh, good one, you know, but I wanted to check out his boat. He's got a beautiful rigged boat. Um, so I got a little sneak peek of that real quick. But then I, I wanted to know how has it been going for him? What has what's the season been like? And, and he said tough that this has been one of the he actually said this is the toughest spring that he's ever seen um, on this waterway. And, and that actually made me feel Good because, you know, I am not uh, an angler that—I'm not the best angler. I'm not. Um, You've never fished on the Elite Series. I have never fished on the Elite <laughs> C- Series. However, I do feel that I could hold my own um, most of the time. If, if I got to fish as much as a lot of these local guides, I feel like I could hold my own um, for the most part. And I'll say I, I feel like I'm a top 10 angler. I feel like I can make top 10. But this spring has been weird and has been difficult, and— I wanted some reassurance and I got it from from a guy that does it almost every day. And so um, he says it's tough. It was tough for us. And so let's talk about that. Um, how did we do and what, what we did? So we started off late, like Brian's talking about. We didn't get the early, early start. And so because of that, we're probably three hours behind in regards to daylight. Mm-hmm. Um, we pretty much missed the topwater bite. Right. We didn't get to fish that. And if you're out, if you're going to get a guide on Table Rock and you're going to go this time of year, they're gonna start early and that's the first thing that they're gonna start doing is topwater because that is the best bite.
0: Yeah. And honestly, you could probably start that about five thirty and AM right now.
1: Right. Five
0: thirty AM. We've we have daylight from five thirty to almost nine o'clock right now, so over fifteen hours. Um when I get up in the morning at five thirty, I can see across my my whole property. It, yeah. it is it is that light. Yeah. Um so you could really start fishing topwater that early in the morning.
1: Yes, and so we missed it. however, we still felt like we'd go catch them. so um
0: we knew yeah, we knew we were gonna be out
1: deeper. so we actually started um an area that we put in um you know it's it's got some deep water. I mean, uh, once we put in, you can find water all the way from one hundred and fifty five feet deep um, all the way up to uh, yeah, some 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 super shallow water with some creeks running in so, we decided uh, to find our island there's an island that's that's close by it's got um it the,
0: the channel comes up against it that's why we really like it so the bait like to position around yeah this it's got the big bluff and it's right outside of a
1: spawning pocket so it's got a big bluff right there and then that bluff actually i'm trying to describe it here the island that we have it is connected to that bluff um and so underwater underwater you're gonna be able to fish you know about six feet and then it all all comes all the way out to that island, and then you have your bluff that's super, super deep. So, Mm -hmm. Brian, what did we do after we found that island? Where did we start and what did we do? So,
0: well, as soon as we got there and started fishing, you could see bait being chased and bass coming up after this bait, but it would come up one, two at a time, and then they'd go back down, and it was bright and sunny. And a lot of times when you know you're going to have a good topwater bite or a good uh, swim bait bite, some kind of moving bait through these balls of shad, these fish will stay up for... Not a long time, but maybe 30 seconds to two minutes, they'll stay up and they will be a little feeding frenzy. And that, they were not doing that. They'd come up, make one quick splash, and they'd go back down so much so that it was kind of hard to pinpoint where they really were. And they were moving all mm-hmm. over the place. They weren't positioned or really set up on anything. It was just kind of uh, uh, frantic. They were just kind of everywhere. But we tried because you know you're in fish, so let's try to catch them. So we tried the top water. I, I tried the wake bait, you tried the walking bait, we tried the swim baits, I tried the drop shot, we tried in six feet of water, we tried all the way out to 45 feet of water, mm-hmm. graphing fish really the whole way, yep. found some brush piles throughout there that had fish on them. And rock piles. And rock piles uh-huh. that had some fish on mm-hmm. them, and <laughs> just couldn't, couldn't get them to bite, and then... As we worked around this island, the gar really moved in, and these gar were rolling everywhere. Yeah. With the bait fish come the gar. The gar liked to feed on them, too. Um, The one thing I did end up catching off of the island as we fished around it, in 28 foot of water, I caught a goggle eye. Yeah. A big goggle eye. Like 11, 12 inch long, which is really big for a goggle eye. Um, And it was in 28 feet, which is really deep, I feel like, for them. And I caught it on a drop shot, and that thing was almost jet black. It was beautiful.
1: Color. Yeah, it was a beautiful-looking goggle eye and huge, bigger than than the hand. Like, right. this is the this is the ones that you want to catch to go eat, for and sure. And they're
0: really good eating. So I threw it in the box. I threw it in the live whale and made several more casts, thinking there might be a little wad of them down there or some big bluegill and that we could at least get a meal out of it. But didn't get anything, so we threw them back. Um, and then we're like, okay, we tried this this deep thing real quick. We tried where the shad are out here on the island in the middle of the lake. Let's go back in the pocket and see if we can piece this thing together. Are there some of these fry garters, these these early post-spawn fish that are still up shallow that can be caught in our biting? So we drove back in a, a spot where we know they spawn like crazy every year, um, threw the frog around a little bit, threw the wacky rig around a little bit. You were throwing a, a jig around a little bit and nothing. I mean, absolutely nothing. We did see a couple of fish that maybe were even just starting to spawn because they were so shallow that the water they were in wasn't there two weeks ago before the rain. So still getting that indication that we are going to have all three phases of the post-spawn going on those fish that are immediately just got done those fish that are going to be in the 10 foot brush piles and then we're probably late enough now that there's going to be fish out in 40 50 foot of water
1: you know and actually this time of day um the current they weren't pulling
0: none no current yeah
1: i mean it was just minimal i think when i looked um you know that the evening before let's say they were pulling um at 7 p.m they were pulling around 199, and so what they were pulling while we were there was like 50. Yeah. And so it's just just not enough to really have uh, to pull all those bait out, and bait were everywhere. I mean, when you when you turn the trolling motor on, sometimes a trolling motor would cause them to jump because we we're going through them. Sometimes just the action of Brian or my bait coming through would make these these bait. So bait was everywhere, so it isn't like you could just key in on one bait ball or, or two bait balls. Because there was just that much, there were just that many bait balls everywhere. That that it was just massive, it was huge. Food was really, everywhere,
0: really kind of spread out. So, after we tried deep, we tried shallow. Uh, really decided then, you know what? I'm gonna focus on this finessey style, on this drop shot. Let's go hit a bluff wall that leads out to a channel swing point. It has some deep water, and we know from past years that these. Uh, spotted bass when they're done they will get out on this amongst the bluegill and the shad and they will set up right on this chattel swing on this deep point. So we did that and as we were going down and got towards the point you and I started catching actually on our drop shots some of these bluegill. Yes. Some of these bigger bluegill, that came our drop shot. We caught a couple. So again, kind of keying in. All right, we got to be in the right area.
1: Again, big enough bluegill to eat. Yeah. Like, good eating. Yeah.
0: Big <laughs> enough, big enough to eat. <laughs> if you
1: like to eat bluegill, that's the time to and where to catch them at. We're we're there for
0: bass. Um, I have went there in the past and and got live well full of the big bluegill, but that's yeah. usually like later on into June and July that that you can really get those big ones wadded up. Let me
1: add something else. We went on a Monday. And why that is impactful is because this lake gets hit hard on the weekends. I'm talking, it is hard to find a place to fish. If you're going to go on a a Friday, a Saturday, a Sunday, it's difficult to find a, a spot to fish. And then in the afternoons, with our temps getting up in that high 70s, in the 80s, low 80s, you have the big boats coming out, you have the the stand up, the sedu's, the set downs you have, <laughs> the recreational boats coming out to play, and I'm telling you this waterway is so busy that I feel like on Mondays all wildlife is kind of like oh. yeah. <laughs> you know like it's like oh we can settle down now just a little bit and you know I think there is something to be said that on all these waterways when when they, most of us wanting to go out and just just fun fish and, and catch some fish it can be tough because they've had a busy weekend yeah um so this was a Monday that we went out um they had high pressure now we're getting into to the lower pressure and we're trying to figure so we went finesse because some of these fish are sore mouth some of these fish are a little more um scared
0: yeah and so I picked up you know I think I failed earlier to really describe what the drop shot is somebody who's listening that may not know or has heard of it but isn't quite familiar mm-hmm. um, and it is going to be on a spinning rod with light line um, I actually use six-pound test and a small tiny little one-aught hook a tiny bait um, I use oh what are those like three inch long little the the one I had on yesterday was a little three inch long yeah, it, yeah. Uh, and, and a and power bait be, max in, minnow mm-hmm. and then below your hook you have a foot to 18 inches of line. And on the bottom of that, you have a little pencil weight. And so when you drop that down, it's very, very small. The worm kind of floats by itself. The weight is away from it. You can suspend it at any, you can take it all the way down to the bottom, hang it right off the bottom, or you can suspend it um, at any depth and just leave it kind of hang there if that's where you think the fish are and they can come bite it. But it's very, very, um, There's you don't do a whole lot with it. You don't really cast it around and crank. You just kind of drop it over the side of the boat where you think the fish are. Um,
1: you know, we, we do need to do a podcast on it because um, I got the opportunity to to fish with a guy that, that that's, that's all he did. That's all he did. And he taught me a lot and, and I'd love to talk more about it. I, I do want to share here to give you clarity. Like you think about all these names of these baits we're talking about, wake bait, um, topwater bait. Like they get their names because that's what it is that's what you're doing and so with a drop shot you know thankfully today or not thankfully everybody's looking to make money they want to make that dollar so now you can actually go buy weights specifically for this but used to you would take split shot so this is a weight um, that you smash on your line and they would put that at the bottom um, of the line instead of way up and so for those of you that have have used live bait before you've probably used a split shot weight and you've smashed it on that line and that's what you used to use and so you would put your hook uh as high up as you want on your line and then below that hook you'd put a weight and you would smash a split shot ring um uh, weight onto that yeah and so thankfully today now they make weights that you can that you can use um so that if you do get hung off, it comes off pretty easy.
0: Yeah, though they, these weights for drop shot fishing that they make, you don't even have to tie them on. They actually mm-hmm. clip onto your line they or kind of right pinch in. your line so right. that they break off and you don't break all of your
1: leader line off. Right. But
0: anyway, on this point, we were able to find some fish out around that 20-foot-of-depth area.
1: When he says finding fish, we're seeing them on our electronics. electronics. Correct. So- we're
0: seeing them. Unfortunately, we got a little busy as we found the fish. We had phone calls coming in. We did about, we had work. We had phone calls coming <laughs> in work. about one business and email requests coming in about another business. So yeah. we were trying to do all of this. At the same time, we finally found some fish that we thought were catchable.
1: Um, That's a, the, it's a good problem to have, though. It, it, gonna, it's a good yeah. problem to have. I'm it, thankful.
0: In the midst of all this, uh, I did. I got a bite and, on, on my drop shot, and I caught a two-pound spotted bass and yeah really thankful thankful for that and to kind of figure out all right we're in an area that has some fish this fish is in 20 foot of water very clearly we're in this post spawn time we're right. we're at the end of may you're catching fish in 20 feet it is post spawn things are starting to come together a little bit we drug around there a little bit then right next to this point as you go into the cove just a little bit there is a dock but the dock comes out very it's actually part of a camp and it comes out a long way cause it's a big dock to like 25 feet of water at the end of it. And there's brush piles off both corners. So we went and used our electronics to look at these brush piles and you could see all the fish around the brush piles. And I'm yes. like, I just caught one right over there. These brush piles are in the same depth and there's fish on them. So we dropped our little crickets down in there multiple times and we got nothing. Yeah. <laughs> they were in there, but we yeah. couldn't get them to bite.
1: No. And they were, they were. <laughs> let's just say that uh, if we didn't know what the bass looked like on our screen, we'd have thought it was probably another species. And and that's something that I do want you to know. You know, this time of year, let's it's it's almost June. So in the southern parts, if you're listening, if you're in the southern parts of the United States, you're definitely in 100% post spawn. If you're up north in the United States. You're probably just Coming, starting the yeah. the spawn. I mean, you're in spawn, and so listening to this though, know that when the post spawn comes in your area, these are the things that you're you're looking for and that you're trying to do. Um, you know, with post spawn, you're going to have anglers like let's say that you're you're watching the the major league fishing right now, and and you're going to hear a lot of these anglers be like, "I am seeing fish so deep," and if they hadn't have caught. Any fish out of that, they would have probably thought it was perch or bluegill, another species of fish that are schooled up. But you're, you're, you're listening and you're seeing these anglers that are fishing so deep, but they are catching bass. And they're actually surprised when they're pulling it up and seeing that it's bass. Um, and, I, and I didn't know why, but with technology today, you can find these fish. And that's what Brian's talking about. We are looking for fish through this graph. I mean, our eyes are on this screen staring, looking for rock piles looking for brush or looking for that bait um, those bait fish with the the bass underneath them so you have to keep your eyes peeled you have to watch your technology um, and that's what we we're doing
0: yeah um, so we moved off those brush piles because the fish weren't biting but again we're doing some other work and we wanted to idle out over this channel swing off of this point as we were leaving instead of just hopping up on plane and getting out of there so that we could graph and still we're still trying to put it all together what what are these fish doing? What stage are we in? And as you go out off of this point, out into the channel, it drops off to uh, well over 100 feet. And once we got to 110 feet, we grafted the most fish that we grafted all day. And the fish were not in 110 feet. They were actually in 60. And I there were probably a mix of species down there. That happens when the these fish go out to these deep areas. But it definitely... I would bet a lot of money that there were largemouth bass, spotted bass, maybe even smallmouth set up in those areas. And we didn't fish it. However, I would have liked to. I we just We were kind of in a hurry, and we had the fear of killing some of them. Mm-hmm. And the reason is when you catch fish in 60 feet of water, when you bring them up, Um, they don't have time to equalize their air bladder, um, their swim bladder. So as they are coming up, their swim bladder will actually, uh, stay too full or too low and it'll pop out of their mouth. And when you go to unhook them and release them, they can't swim. They can't swim back down. They can only stay at the the surface on top. So you actually have to go through a process called fizzing and you take a syringe or a needle that is open-ended. It's not sealed and you, there's a couple different ways of doing it. You can go down. Um, you can literally just go right down their, their throat through their smashers um, and let the air out of that. Or there's, uh, you can actually go up through their abdominal. There's a couple different ways you can do it. You have to go at the right angle and at the right place. And if you do it wrong, you kill them. Yeah. <laughs> and if you don't do it, you kill them. So you really need to do this. We
1: weren't really well, and, ready and to small, jack with that. Right, small mouth. Where you fizz a small mouth and the angle you come in is different than, than a large mouth. And you need you you need to know that. So if you're like, well, how do I know that? Google it. Look it up. You can find images that are going to show you and make for sure that when you're doing it in real life, you follow that to a T. Because if you do it wrong, you can puncture the wrong thing. And, and yeah, they're alive in the moment. But when you let them go, they, they'll go off and they'll go die. Right. And so uh, the two things really that – here's the hardest part. When you're talking that deep, you're talking – 110 feet, but you're finding these these fish in 60. The issue with, with fishing that deep, two things for us is, yes, you're going to have to fizz these fish, and two, it's really hard to stay on that spot. Like, that is a tiny, let's say that you find a rock pile at 110 feet, you're finding that rock pile. It is so hard, hard to keep your boat positioned right there to fish on that rock pile. It's just that tough. If we had spot lock or... A trolling motor or an anchor system to where it you stayed in that spot, it is more doable. But we're battling trying to find the spot. We're trying we're battling staying on the spot, and then it is kind of a, a nerve wracking thing um, to fizz a fish if you hadn't. And so because of that, we we always hope to find shallower fish, but here in our waterway, that is the type of fishing that we have to do, and and we'll need to do if we want to catch. Yeah, fish.
0: there there were definitely a lot of fish at that depth. Talking to uh, the pro at the boat ramp, he said the same thing. Yeah, we found them suspended like 55 to 65 over 150 feet. And you still had to really work to catch them. And, you know, if we were guiding, then yeah, we we're going to go through the process. If we think that's the only way to catch a good number of fish, we're going to make sure our clients are catching them. Um, and we'll go through the process of fizzing them as they they bring them up. But we didn't, honestly, we didn't want to jack with it. Just to be honest, we didn't want to mess with it. And I thought there was other ways to go catch fish. So I said, hey, we haven't checked gravel yet. And what I mean by that is as you go throughout a body of water, there are different substrates. And the substrate is what the bottom, uh, if you're talking about a fish tank, when you're buying substrates, when you put it in, you may have the pink colorful rainbow rocks, bigger size chunk rocks. The lake's the same way. You have different gravel. You have big chunks. You have boulders. We hadn't tried any gravel yet, and I always know that during the post-spawn, I catch a lot of fish off of gravel. So let's go check some of these gravel runouts, these points that run out shallow really far into the lake. And when they start to drop off, these fish, for some reason, really like those drop-offs. Let's go check a few of those. We went and grafted a new one that we've never fished before. Again, saw a bunch of fish on it, but they were like in 55 feet of water. I said, hey... Let's run back towards the boat ramp. There's some up there. I've been catching fish off of it since I was eight years old. I'm pretty sure I can get us on them. Let's do it. So we went there and pretty pretty immediately um, started graphing more fish. However, again, it was off to the side of it where the water really started to get deep. It was Mm -hmm. not right up on top of it, even in the 30 feet. We really had to drop off below that 30, get into the 40s before we saw fish.
1: Yeah, I think for... You know, let's say that you. Let's say that somebody wants to to go do this. You know, if you don't have a bass boat, you can still do this in a kayak. You can do this in a um, a flat bottom boat. Um, even if you wanted to try and do this, <laughs> you could do this in, in some sort of inflatable. Let's say you just want to float out, because what you're going to do is you're going to find a campground. You're going to find someone that's got a boat ramp and before you go there look at some maps you can get online and find maps that's got contour um, lines that are going to let you know how deep and you can you can figure out that's what brian and i were doing we we're in areas where we would look up at the bank and you would find you know the tree that's out in the water and look to your behind you and you'd find the dock and then where the the really the dock and the tree kind of come together was was really that area that we were trying to to keep our boat visually, and we did, and we were able to to find some fish and, and catch some fish by doing that. This is something that you can do too, but you will have to to do your homework. You'll have to get on and look at some topo maps and and try to figure out that that depth that you're looking for before you even go. If you don't have technology, and and it's doable. Guys have done it, gals have done it way way before any electronics. <laughs> yeah, um, but there is an art to it. So. So you'll have to do some homework before you go, but it is doable. Yeah, it's and called
0: it, triangulating.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's it's fun when, when you're able to to triangulate. Uh, it gives you empowerment. It it gives you confidence. It's it's fun to be able to go do. So you need to go try it if you have it.
0: Well, we could see fish on the graph kind of sliding off the edge of this point once we got in. And then this is actually where we caught our, our biggest fish of the day. Again, on the drop shot, it was a, a two-pound, nine-ounce spot this time. Uh, uh, for our lake, that's a good-sized spotted bass in 45 feet of water. It's really deep. And it was on the bottom. My mm-hmm. bait was on the bottom at 45 feet. And I caught this fish. Um, it probably looks weird to some people. Uh, we're, I mean, we're out in the middle of the lake. I mean, people were driving between the bank and us. We were far enough out. They shouldn't have been doing that, but they were.
1: <laughs> well, it's just disrespectful. Yeah. It's not illegal or breaking any rules. It's just disrespectful. Right. You know? And I am going to go out and say that Some people may just not know that. They may just probably didn't know better. didn't know better. Ignorance is bliss, I guess.
0: Um, But anyway, caught that nice bass. Um, It was still difficult. We were graphing so many fish down there. Just caught one. Kept dropping back down to them, drifting over the top of them, trying from different angles. Had a couple more short strike bites. But with this drop shot, like they will come up and nip and hit it and that doesn't mean they really have it like really until until your line starts swimming off or goes tight then you know they've got it and it's you don't really love fishing that way Ben because it isn't a big thump thump bite or and then you're just reeling them up on this spinning reel from straight down so I know you don't love it but it is an effective way to get bites when things are tough and even though we had found the fish and just caught one we didn't really fire them up and couldn't couldn't get another one to hook up there.
1: It is a vertical technique. Mm-hmm. It is – you're literally dropping it down next to the boat. You're, it's it's a drop. Now, I get that you can fish it other ways today, and there are anglers that are, and they do well. But the original technique is to vertically fish it. You're dropping it down. And that's why I don't find it as fun because I love to cast. I love to flip that – well, my favorite would be the jig. I would love to flip and, and try to find, like, an area – Um, in some brush or by some rocks, I want to flip that bait up in there and I want it to fall down next to it and I want to feel the thump. I I want it to almost rip my rod out of my hands because it hits it so hard. Like that's, I want that, you know? And so when you're out finesse fishing and you're drop shotting, sometimes it's, I I call it like a cricket fart. Like if a a cricket farted and you felt it on your line, that's kind of what I I feel like it feels like. And there's an art to it. And it is a way to catch fish, especially for tournaments. But I, there are other methods that I I prefer. So,
0: but while we were right after we caught the fish, yeah, we had the person driving between us and the bank. Here come this, I mean, decked out to the nines kayak. <laughs> yeah. nicer trolling motor. He has and grass. spot lock. Like I mean, this this <laughs> he had thousands in this thing. Yep. Rods everywhere. Yeah. He comes by, just a genuine, nice, local fella. How you doing, fellas? He's a a construction worker. Yeah, construction worker. Had the day off. He's out fishing. He said, you catching them all the way out here? We said, yeah. And he's like, well, I've had a pretty good day. I caught, I think he said, eight keepers. And he said, I'm just throwing a shaky head up shallow, dragging it out to about 8, 10 feet. He said, you ought to go try it back in those pockets. And we're like, you know what? We got 45 minutes left. Let's go do that real quick. Ben was about done with the 45-foot stuff, so yeah. we just jumped up, ran right into the corner. There was a pocket caught fish before and uh, started fishing, and we actually were seeing some fish.
1: We did. Yeah, we saw fish. Um, you know, that shaky head, that is that is a bait. If If you could pick one bait to teach somebody, let's say that someone's never been fishing before, you're like don't know what to put on. You put a shaky head on, put a worm on that shaky head hook, drag that thing around. And you're gonna eventually catch fish. Mm-hmm. It's a fish catcher for sure.
0: It is. But when I say seeing fish here, um, we were actually visibly seeing them with our eyes. There were still some fish shallow, guarding the yeah. beds yep. back there.
1: Um, so as- you so we can see that the the summer pattern is close. But the the post spawn is still here. We even still have some fish, possibly on spawn, um, or it's just that local fish that that hasn't went deeper, isn't going to go deep. Right. But we are seeing fish visually now, sight fishing with with your eyes. And matter yep. of fact, Brian tied on the finesseiest of finesses. Was it a sixteenth ounce? A sixteenth ounce. Sixteenth ounce. Ned head. So, so he mushroom jig head. A little tiny weighted hook. He puts on the smallest little craw that you can get. (laughs) It's so tiny. And you threw that thing. Actually, you saw a bass come out aggressively after some bait. Mm -hmm. And you flipped that thing in there. Matter of fact, this thing is so light that you had a hard time casting it. I did have a hard time casting it. When he flipped that thing in there, that bass wanted it. Yeah. And I smashed it. Um, But you were sight fishing. You watched it it go down and watched it happen
0: yeah. And so, yeah, got another nice keeper again, another, another spotted bass. Um, but another like two and a half pound fish. Um, so caught some nice fish, but no, no big ones. Um, and we slid back to the back of this pocket and saw some smaller, um, I'll call them buck bass on bed, guarding the fry. Didn't really mess with them. And then we saw a better one, but it was underneath. I mean, this fish was like in a foot of water, but it was so bright and sunny and it had tucked its bed up underneath this bush that was hanging out like ten feet from the bank and was touching the water. And so there were you couldn't even cast in there. You no. could not
1: even skip a wacky rig worm in there where it was. It was, it was. It was too tough to really cast in. And and this fish wasn't um, set up and hooked. I mean, as in, it was moving so much that that it really right. wasn't a, an easy catchable fish, you know. So we definitely knew it was time to to move on. And and by this point in the day, we were really wrapping it up. We we were we had um, well daddy duty to yeah to take care of. So we knew it was about time to go go pick um, up the kids. But it was an awesome way to really finish out, being able to see some bass, knowing that well it kind of helped us to to really share the story with you today, knowing that there are still some fish shallow, kind of helping us to to know where the season's at still. Yeah, you still
0: know? a few fish shallow, but then you've got. Uh, the
1: mass number of fish out there in 60 feet of water over a hundred feet of water i think the thing that brian and i started noticing is is brian caught spots you're catching a bunch of spots but we didn't catch any largemouth and we didn't catch any smallmouth right and so if we had keyed in to those fish that were out deeper i imagine we would have started to, to catch more largemouth mm-hmm. and some smallmouth
0: yeah so what we what we're assuming is that most of largemouth are completely done spawning. They're really probably uh, a lot of them are even out of the that middle post-spawn stage, out of the brush piles and really moving out to these deep areas where the water is cool, the oxygen levels are high, and the bait is plenty. And so next time we go out, we will have to focus on that. And, and I hope that this podcast episode gives you an understanding of what the post-spawn is and some ideas of how you can target those fish. Some of you listening may just be saying, that sounds too hard or that doesn't sound fun. I'm like you, Ben. I like to see the fish. I like to see the structure and flip it. And if I can't go catch fish that way, then I just assume not go fish. And if if you're that person, I'm okay with that. I'm going to tell you to go to the river because when the post spawn, summer patterns on the lake get really tough and the and the fish are really deep. If you don't want to learn and you don't want to... Do the deep fishing. I shouldn't say you don't want to learn. If that just doesn't interest you, then go to the river. You can catch fish in those cool streams and rivers off of structure all summer long.
1: Yeah, and let me recap really and fast. And we will be doing that ourselves exactly. If to help you here with with fish behavior, like um, starting next year, when you want to go out and and really get into this stuff, when you're fishing the pre spawn, where the fish are setting up in the pre spawn is going to be the same spot basically where they're going to be in the post spawn and so as you're starting to find these areas before they go up on beds keep track of them remember them because go back after the spawn and you're probably going to find them there now we also know that in our lake we're going to even move out a little bit deeper than maybe the secondary points Um, even sometimes off of your main points you're going to find them a little bit deeper on this post spawn where we are If you don't like fishing deep, then definitely go to the river because you are going to be able to catch fish shallow all year long in the river. And and when we're talking about shallow, you know, the river, there may be some some channel swings and bends that are 20 feet, um, maybe 30, but we're not fishing 110 feet in the river. And Mm And that should give you some confidence and some excitement to still go out in the summer months you know, late spring, early summer to go out and catch some fish.
0: And I want to qualify that by saying there are guys who make a living fishing professionally that do that. Yeah. They're going to find the rivers and streams that flow into that body of water and they are going to fish it. They're going to fish it in every tournament, no matter the time of year. They're not going to go out and fish in 100 feet of water. So find your style of fishing, find what you like to do, get really, really good at that and find those areas that suit your style.
1: Right. Remember, I said earlier in this podcast that the lakes are massive, Mm -hmm. and almost any lake has different rivers and streams running into it. There are fish doing different things on different bodies all over of this body of water. And so find what you enjoy the most to do in in regards to fishing and your style of fishing, and then begin to dissect where you can do that on the lake because... There is going to be a spot on the lake all year round, somewhere from rivers, creeks, all the way down to your lakes that you can get out and go fish the way that you like to fish.
0: Most of all, whether you catch fish or not, we hope that you just go spend some time outdoors. We hope that this episode has been informative. We hope that you've enjoyed our stories, our tips, and our tricks. That is it for this episode of the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. Follow along with everything that we do on our Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram. We do have a new Meant to Be Outdoors podcast Q&A page on Facebook. We'd love if you join that. We want as many people on to discuss the topics that we're discussing here on the podcast. We'll put a picture up of one of the fish that we caught from the trips we've been talking about on this episode. We will be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. We hope that between now and that time, you find time to spend time outdoors. And as always, remember that you are meant to be outdoors. Thank you for listening to the meant to be outdoors podcast hosted by Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandel. Please help us by subscribing Also, follow along on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook.